You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. Y'all take a seat, if you would, this morning. Welcome. Welcome to Redeemer. If you're joining online, welcome from wherever uh, you are. I know that Christmas is coming quickly. If you have children, you're probably feeling the pressure, so I thought I would go ahead and tell you what is on my wish list for Christmas. So if you're a note taker, uh, now would be a good uh, good chance to get out your notepad and your pen. This is all that I want for Christmas. Uh, all that I want for Christmas is peace. Uh, I want my kids to get along and from this point on forevermore uh, to never get in a disagreement with each other, uh, to never complain that the color spoon for the cereal is the wrong color, uh, to have infinite amounts of love and peace towards them and respect and obedience towards their parents and just for the kids to uh, experience total peace. And the parents in the room said... And I would love for marital peace, for me and my wife to never have any conflict again, uh, to never have any tension in our marriage again, for me to never be wrong again. Some of you may think, are there problems in pastors' marriages? Uh, No, there's not. There's challenges that we are working to overcome, but I would love if there was just absolute marital peace from now uh, forevermore uh, in the relationship that Hannah and I have. Uh, What about neighborhood peace? I would love for there to be absolute peace in my neighborhood, and yet when I open up the Nextdoor app, it just seems that that is not the case. How many of you have ever seen the Nextdoor app? This is, I saw somebody like equate this, this is like the new Jerry Springer, just open up and it's like, it doesn't explain peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Uh, I would love for peace in my neighborhood, for my neighbors to get along. When a cat shows up, just kindly return the cat. If the dog shows up, have the decency to look at the collar, return it. I would love in my neighborhood just for peace uh, to rule and reign. What about the church staff? I would love from this point on, forevermore, for the church staff to never have have any conflict or any problems. Some of you might say, do church staffs ever have conflict? The answer is no. We have challenges that we are working through, but I would love for there to be just eternal peace. What about uh, the church at large? If you're a covenant partner, say amen. I would love for, from this point on for covenant partners at Redeemer to tithe, to give, to love, to serve, and to never have conflict again, to be at absolute peace with one another, to have peaceful relationships uh, within the church, within their serving team, within their community groups. Uh, what, about, uh, what about society at large? Uh, I would love for this Christmas uh, for our society to be a society that is marked by peace, a perfect relationship and this idea of of getting along in all areas of our society where there's no crime, where you don't have to lock your door when you leave. Uh, You don't have to lock your car when you go into HEB. It would be so nice for our society to experience unbelievable peace. Uh, What about extended family? How many of you have extended family? How many of you pray for peace within them? In-laws included. Maybe you say there's just so much tension, and I would love just for this Christmas uh, when they come over for all of the extended family to experience uh, peace. What about the government, Uh, from the local government all the way to the federal government? Uh, It would be unbelievable if we had peace where there were two sides that were working together in peace to accomplish the best thing uh, for uh, its people and for the the, the state of society as a whole, and yet there's conflict and there's a lack of peace, and it would be unbelievable uh, if 
there was peace in the government? What about health? Uh, I would love, if not just for me, but for my family, for the church, for those that I know and love, to have peace in their health, to not have any stress, uh, to not experience anxiety, uh, depression, loneliness, and all those things that get inside of a human in their soul and spirit and body and wreak turmoil with, uh, with, with peace that we long for. And I, along with every beauty pageant contestant that has ever been, would love for world peace. For, for there not to be any more nuclear arms races, for there not to be any threat of a country to invade another country or this to overthrow that, and for uh, just this kind of threat that we uh, really live under, the, this kind of global escalation of tensions to be gone, never to be heard from again. I think global peace would be a fantastic thing. Uh, is that too much to ask? That's what I want for Christmas. Peace, and the strange thing is, uh, what I just described uh, is, is a holistic understanding that the Bible talks about, yet uh, oftentimes it uses the word shalom. So everybody say shalom. Shalom, it's, it, when you say peace in English, sometimes it's a very, very small portion, small idea compared to the biblical theme of shalom. Because the biblical theme of shalom is a, a mega theme in the Bible and a mega theme uh, in all of creation. That it's this idea of absolute perfect peace between humans and God, between all relationships uh, human to human, and even this relationship we have uh, between humanity and the earth. It's recognized as this, this holistic shalom that, listen, every single human being at, at some level in their soul is predisposed to desire and long for Shalom. It's even in our, our, our physical DNA. If you have a baby in a womb, they have done some studies and research, and this is not a new thing, uh, but if that baby experiences some kind of pain like a prick to their heel, they will recoil from it because that is not shalom. That is not the peace that they long for. So even in our DNA, we are designed and wired to long for shalom and to retreat from things that we feel take our shalom. We want financial peace. How many of you want financial peace? Listen, somebody should market this. You should take this idea of financial peace that you can be free from debt, free to be uh, generous and, and market it. We'll market it as financial peace. It'll be huge. You'll make tons of money. You'll tithe and everything will be great. Right? No, this, Dave Ramsey has, has made a huge business off of financial peace because people want peace. That includes financial peace, relational peace, uh, internal peace, external peace, uh, even peace with creation. This just this mega theme that human beings long for and desire this state of peace that the Bible calls shalom. Let me read to you uh, what a theologian named Cornelius Plantingana, I don't know if I said that correctly, I'll ask him, Uh, this is what he says and how he describes the biblical theme of shalom which this is Advent season for us, so this is really four weeks of, uh, of unpacking what it truly means that Jesus uh, came into the world. And last week we looked at hope, that Jesus uh, brought hope to us, and today we're looking at peace, the idea that Jesus came to bring peace and to bring shalom. This is what uh, Cornelius says about shalom. He says, shalom is the webbing together of God, all humans, and all of creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be, the full flourishing of human life in all aspects as God intended it to be. And what's strange 
if you'll let me tease this out for a few moments, what's strange is that all of humanity, it doesn't matter if you live in, in downtown Manhattan or, or if you live in, 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 in a very rural area in sub-Saharan Africa, we long for something that we have never experienced. None of us have ever experienced a life that is 100% truly shalom at peace without the, the presence of any type of sin or problem. Yet something inside of us testifies that it should exist because we may not be able to put our finger on what should be, but we know when something wrong happens that that's not how it's supposed to be. The Ecclesiastes, a book in the Bible in the Old Testament, would say that that is eternity in our soul, that there is an ought to be that has been put inside of our soul, and we can call it shalom, this idea of absolute peace that we long for. Although none of us have seen it, we all believe it should be and long for it. And in the Bible, again, this is a huge theme. This is how the, the, the opening pages and the closing pages of this book have to do with shalom. The opening pages describe how God designed creation to function. Genesis 1, Genesis 2 describes shalom, perfect peace between Adam and Eve and their creator, between each other. There was no strife. There was no sin in marriage, even with creation itself. And then sin comes in and wreaks havoc and breaks and fractures that shalom, in, and, and it's, every human feels it in every different way. And then you got a whole bunch of pages in the Bible between that and the very end when Revelation closes, uh, talking about the, the fact that God is going to put things back together. He is going to redeem and reinstate things back into this idea of shalom. And so you've got the beginning, the garden describes shalom, how things ought to be, and the end talks about how things are going to be for those who belong to Jesus, for those who love God and have been saved and, and washed and forgiven by the blood of Christ. And in the middle, you have this promise that God was going to send someone uh, as the Prince of Peace to come back and to put things back together, to reinstate what we all long for. And there's, there's this global understanding that if you see suffering, if you see a child that doesn't have enough food, if you see some type of uh, discrimination, something in the human soul knows that's not right and knows that's not how it's supposed to be, but the Christian worldview is the only logical explanation for why that's inside of humanity, for why we long for something that we have never seen. Uh, an atheistic position that doesn't believe that there is a God, uh, it, it's the most incongruent thing to think that there is no God, yet to feel that uh, we, we desire something as the way it should be because there's no, nothing to tell us this isn't how it should be. Especially if we just ascribe hook, line, and sinker to, to the idea of evolution, that there's no God, there is no right or wrong, there is no morality, there is no internal value for humanity. It's all just chance, and it's all just uh, survival of the fittest, and the strong eat the weak, and the rich devour the poor. If that's what we buy into, which increasingly that's what, where our culture is going, it's represented in the uh, the department, the U.S. Department of Education curriculum, that we are uh, moving towards an atheistic society that does not believe that there is a God that gets to determine what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. Yet we long for the good. Y'all see this? It, it it doesn't make any sense. If you take the Christian worldview out of the picture, there is no standard for us to think that this is not just how it should be. And maybe suffering is the norm. 
And maybe if someone is suffering, they need to be devoured and removed because the strong eat the weak. And so the the Christian worldview is the only worldview that makes sense of our desire to experience something we've never seen, to experience shalom, that sin is bad, that that, that all of the effects that we, we feel in our heart are wrong and we long for what's right. The Bible gives those things terms and meanings. So God created you and me for shalom, perfect peace with God, perfect peace with every relationship in marriage, with kids, with family, with coworkers in your neighborhood, in the government, and peace with creation and sin, fracture that at every level. And so this promise of peace uh, is an answer to what I believe is a longing every human has and so this is what we wrestle with at Christmas time. What does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, I'm going to invite you to turn to Isaiah. I know Don and Beverly read from the Gospel of John, and we'll get there here in a few minutes. But I wanted to start in Isaiah because Isaiah, uh, it, it's, it's a prophecy about um, the coming of Christ or the advent of Christ, what we celebrate at Christmas And Isaiah is prophesying, or or he's delivering God's word uh, to God's people about 700 years B.C. So 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a manger, God is speaking to Isaiah and says, tell the people this. And he says a few things, and I'll break it up in this way. We're going to see first what God said that he is going to do. And this has, all has to do with this idea of peace. So first, he's going to say what he's going to do. And then second, he is going to explain how he is going to do it. Okay? If you're in Isaiah chapter 9, let me know you're awake. Say ready. This is what God's word through the prophet Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says. He he says four things. This is what God will do. Number one, he talks about light. Light is coming. If you can imagine, maybe you have children and maybe they're, uh, they're in a room and their nightlight goes out and they have a bad dream and they wake up and they're just screaming and they're, uh, they're confused, they're scared, they're not sure what's, what's the boogeyman and what's just a shadow on the wall uh, because darkness has this strange effect on us. And so you've got this idea of God's people living in darkness and here's the promise. The people who walked in darkness, they were confused, they were scared, not sure what was right, what was wrong. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. He promises light. Verse uh, 3, this is the second thing. He promises joy. You've multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. Uh, if you're a farmer, and I know Ben Spinks is in the room, and he's right in the middle of uh, cotton season where they are uh, picking cotton. And uh, when you get to that time of year, all of the work from the beginning of the year, gets to, you get to pay off, and you get so excited because you're finally getting uh, the rewards of all your work. This is what he says. Uh, it's just like joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Uh, how many of you remember when you were a kid Christmas morning? I, you think I'd learn my lesson. I keep, keep pushing, keep asking. I can remember when I was a kid, 
looking forward, and, and, and it took so long for Christmas to get here. You start thinking about it in June, and it feels like eternity, but when you're a parent, it's like you turn around, and every four days, it's Christmas, right? But when you're young, you just can't wait for it. You get there, you wake up early, you get to the tree, and it's like this day of joy because you're dividing the spoil. This is what he's saying, like this idea of when you harvest and when you have this great spoil, this idea of joy is what God's going to do for his people. Uh, verse 4, he talks about the third thing, freedom. And he's writing to a people, the Jewish nation, that were enslaved by the Assyrians. And uh, so this had a very practical meaning for them, but a global meaning for all of God's people. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden. And the yoke, we know, is the wooden piece that you would harness onto an ox uh, so that they could pull a plow or some heavy implement. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. If you're a slave, your oppressor has a rod to make sure that you obey and you stay in line. And if you don't, they will use the rod against you. And he says, all of these things you have broken as on the day of Midian, saying he's going to break these, these chains and these abusive uh, means of slavery slavery. Verse 5, then he talks about peace. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is saying all of these battle garments and battle clothes and even this idea of armor uh, will be thrown in and used as fuel for the fire because they're no longer needed as weapons in war. This is what, what God has promised through Isaiah. He's promised light, he's promised joy, he's promised freedom, and he's promised peace. That is the promise. And then we get into the text that we often read and hear at Christmas. This is how God is going to accomplish these things he's just promised. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And isn't it true that God chooses some strange ways to accomplish his purpose? If I were to say, listen, the whole world is a mess, this is the, the shalom that I designed this place for is broken, and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to bring light back into the world where there's darkness. I'm going to bring joy back in where there uh, is none. I'm going to be freedom where there's slavery and peace, and I'm going to restore the shalom. And if I were in charge, I would have done something like a global army of angels that just show up and demolish all of the enemies of peace. But God decides that he is going to confound the wisdom of the world uh, with his own wisdom. And he says, like, this is how he's going to accomplish world peace. All of the things that we desire for shalom, how will God do it? It's so unbelievable. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And we have the, the luxury of, of reading these words, right, 2,000 years after their fulfillment, and we understand a lot. If you were seven centuries before Jesus reading this, I think you probably would have taken a, a double take, right? What do you mean a child is born? How is a small child going to usher in world peace? And the government shall be upon his shoulders, this baby, this child, this small male infant. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. 
So he talks about this child being a ruler, the government. He's going to be uh, a, a political ruler with power. Uh, he is going to be infinitely wise. That's what it means to be a wonderful counselor, that when he gives advice, it should be listened to because it is infinitely wise. Um, that he is, this baby is going to be God in the flesh. This isn't just a New Testament idea. This is a biblical idea that the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, is God incarnate, God in the flesh. He said he shall be called uh, Mighty God. And then he says Everlasting Father. Not just is he going to be a political ruler of the government, not only is he going to be a wise counselor, not only is he God in the flesh, but he is an everlasting father. And if it's anything that humanity needs, it's a good dad. The longer I live, the more I experience ministry, the more I experience people are broken and carry some deep wounds from their fathers. And this child shows up to grow up into an everlasting father, to do all the things your father didn't or couldn't do, and to fulfill this role that each one of us very desperately needs. The Prince of Peace, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of shalom, of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So God promises that he is going to restore shalom, peace, and he explains how he's going to do it through a baby that is going to be born. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given." And then if you fast forward 700 years, you've got Jesus uh, being born in Bethlehem. The angels show up, and they're basically saying, this is it. This is the fulfillment of what all of the prophets, and especially Isaiah, was talking about. The child, the son, is here to bring forth peace, to restore shalom. So what does that mean for you and I that live between the times? We're after the garden, when everything was in perfect shalom. We're before uh, Jesus comes back the second time, his second advent, to restore all things and restore shalom we live in between the times with an internal longing for shalom and a promise that Jesus is the prince of peace so the question I want to unpack with two different chapters from John is how does Jesus then give peace to people very very practically how does Jesus give peace to his people uh, if you have a Bible let me invite you to turn to uh, the book of John, and we'll get to John 14 here in just a second. Uh, I, I love the gospel of John because it's really cut in half. Uh, the first half has to do with the first 33 years of Jesus' life. And the second half has to do with just a few hours. It covers just the few hours that Jesus had in the upper room with his disciples when he was training them and preparing them for his death. And he is uh, then betrayed and he is put on a, a mock trial and he's crucified and he rises from the dead. So we have a lot of detail about the last few hours of Jesus' life in John. And what you have is the pinnacle of Jesus' life, what he had been aiming for this entire time was the cross was to live his life in a perfect way so that he might defeat the enemies of shalom. Because we know this, in order to experience peace, you have to be willing to attack and annihilate the enemies of peace. 
I mean, this is really in, in, in one large measure why we have had such uh, an incredible and, and fruitful and long season of peace in the United States is because our military has been willing to uh, wage war against enemies of peace. Now, I don't want to get into a political conversation with this, right? I know there's a lot of conversations about why we have been certain places and should we have been there, and I totally understand it's a very complicated thing. But I think we would all agree that if there's a threat to peace, you can't have peace unless you deal with the threat. Romans 16 even says this about God, and I love this because it seems so paradoxical, and I should get this tattooed on my arm because I think it's awesome. It says, and the God of peace, you know, we think, oh, just he's nice, he'll never hurt anyone. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Like, like why is that? Oh, because Satan is an enemy of peace, so you can't have peace unless you're willing to deal with the enemies of peace. So Jesus at the cross is confronting the enemies of shalom, of peace, which is Satan, sin, and death. If Satan's around, there is no peace for you. If sin is around, there is no peace for you. If death is around and has the final say, there is no peace for you. So Jesus, desiring to be the prince of peace, is willing to confront the enemies of peace head on. That's what the cross is all about. It's Jesus redeeming the world back to the order where he, for how he designed it to operate. So that's, that's the backdrop. I was all free. That's what's taking place uh, when John 14 is written. Jesus is telling his disciples that he is going to the cross. And if you could imagine being one of the 12 disciples, you had put all your chips in on the table for Jesus being the prince of peace, being this ruler, being this political leader and this king. All your chips are in. And now he starts talking about being beaten to death and crucified. I think there would be a chance for you to have, have your feeling of peace just gone when Jesus starts talking about that. So when Jesus starts talking about his mission to the cross, a huge focus for him conveying truth to his disciples was talking about peace. John chapter 14, verse 27, he says this after he said, listen, guys, I am about to be betrayed, crucified, and killed. And my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. So let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. So my first question when Jesus is talking about how he's going to give people peace is he contrasts it with how the world offers peace. I don't give it the same way the world gives it, very different avenue. And what I believe, and you'll see this in the next two chapters as he talks about peace, uh, the world really tries to uh, find some type of internal peace from the outside in. We try to fix the circumstances that we're living in and think that if we can just do that, then we'll have internal peace. If I can just fix my spouse, I'll have internal peace. If I can just get out of debt, I'll have internal peace. If I can just get over this physical ailment that I have, I'll have internal peace. If my boss can just get a clue and deal with me the way I should be dealt with, I'll just have peace. If I can just have this or that, the kind of the world operates through our peace is determined by our circumstances and things external to us. And so you have people that feel this longing for peace and are trying to find all these things outside uh, to fix the problem, hoping that those things work their way into your, your soul. Jesus doesn't offer peace that way. 
He goes quite the opposite. Jesus starts on the inside, and that peace works its way out. So it's not outside in, it's inside out. Uh, Turn maybe one page in your Bible. This is John chapter 16. I know it's two, two chapters later, but it probably would have been just moments after John 14. It's all really the same context, the same night, the same conversation um, that Jesus was having with his disciples. And he's still talking about peace. Jesus answered them in John 16, verse 31. Jesus answered them, that's the 12 disciples that were having some conversation. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And if he would have just ended it there, that's, that's not real good news. He's like basically saying, hey, things on the outside are, are about to get real bad. Um, they're about to get real bad. You're about to scatter because of persecution. You're going to endure some external suffering and some things that if you have peace the way the world gives, they're going to just destroy and take all of your peace. Things are going to get bad for you guys because they got bad for Jesus. And he said, uh, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. We're on the same team. But he doesn't leave it at that. Verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you so that in me you may have Shalom, peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's trying to to push the gospel into the hearts of his believers so that they experience this revolution of peace that is not outside in, but it's inside out. And so I've got a few things, three things that I want to encourage you with um, this Advent season Uh, that have to do with Jesus as the Prince of Peace, that truly this isn't just an ethereal idea of peace that we long for in eternity uh, or, or peace that we sing about, but the actual things that our soul longs for, the shalom that we desire, Jesus has a way in which he longs to bring that kingdom about and that reality about in our heart today. So number one, this is where true peace begins with, and if you miss this, you miss everything, okay? Peace with God. Peace with God. If you don't have peace with God, there is no amount of physical health or material possessions that you can have. You're not going to experience true peace. This is what Romans chapter 5 verse 1, it's on the screen here for you. Um, This is what it says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, meaning uh, that we're not on this treadmill of trying to please God by good works, trying to do better and quit sinning and uh, try to offer up God, hey, look at my resume, look at what I've done. We get off of that treadmill and we get on on, on this, this path of we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. If you've put your faith in Jesus, if If you've trusted him for your salvation, then you've been justified by faith. That means you're right with God because of your faith in Christ, not because of our works. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the main ways that Jesus came to bring peace is to give you peace with God. And listen, you need it. You can have a lot of enemies in the world. I would not recommend being at odds with God. And so Jesus came to give you peace with God. Maybe you're thinking, you're like, I don't know, it just feels like uh, God has been against me. It feels like we have been enemies. Yes, 
Without Christ, we are enemies of God. The, the New Testament talks about this often, that we are at war with God. We're both struggling over uh, the same spotlight, trying to steal the same glory, trying to be the ones that, that set up our own, uh, our own commandments. And, and so we're at odds with God. We're enemies of God until Jesus steps in and gives us peace with God through his death and his resurrection. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2. It's on the screen. But now, in Christ Jesus, talking about those who are Christians, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, that means you lived a, a sinful life. There are some things in your past, and at some level, this is all of our stories. But I, I, I love how Paul highlights those who felt like they were the furthest away. They felt like they had the most sin in their life. They had the most obstacles between them and God. He says that it doesn't matter how far you are, Jesus has brought you near. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace, and might reconcile us both, talking about Jews and Gentiles, reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace. Jesus came, and one of the messages that he preached was peace. Peace to who? Peace to those who were far off. Listen, some of you, maybe you wouldn't say this, but if you're honest, in your heart, you feel like you're a long way from God. You, you, you feel like maybe you've strayed further than you ever imagined that you would, and perhaps you feel like there's no hope for you. Maybe you feel this tension in your life, and you long for peace, but you think, surely that's for somebody else. Surely that's not for me. Listen, the guy writing this murdered Christians, tore families apart, tried to snuff out and annihilate the Jesus movement. He was very far off. He was as far from God as you could get, and he had peace with God because of Christ. It doesn't matter how far away you feel, the cross is the bridge between Jesus and the one that's, that's the furthest off. Jesus came to preach not good works, but peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. Listen, you can get out of debt, you can amass the most money, more money than you could imagine, and you're not going to have true peace until you have peace with God. That's where it begins. Jesus, as the Messiah, as the Prince of Peace, came to give you, through the cross and faith in Christ, peace with God. Number two, the peace Jesus gives is despite any circumstances. All right, kind of this, this, this flaky peace that the world offers is all contingent on things going well. All right, if our peace has to do with our health or with our uh, amount of, of suffering or uh, the relationships we have, then your peace is built upon that foundation. And once that foundation is gone, your peace is gone with it. But Jesus says, listen, you're going to have some, some difficult days. It was verse 33. He said, he said these things to them. He said, in me you may have peace, though in the world you will have tribulation. And if you're a student of the early church, beginning with really the resurrection of Jesus and looking through Acts and looking through um, Paul's epistles and even church history after the Bible was closed, 
this is what you're going to find. You're going to find it's littered with stories of Christians that everything around them was going crazy, was falling apart, and yet they were people that were filled with peace. John Fox's Book of Martyrs is story after story after story of someone who has peace in Christ that, ha- that, that, that their peace has been removed so far away from the power of their situations. Isn't this what the Bible talks about when it says that those in Christ have a peace that surpasses understanding? That in Christ, when you have peace with God, through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, in your heart, He gives peace despite any circumstance that you're going to face. What does that mean? That means the peace of Christ will never leave you. It doesn't matter what happens with your job or with your family or with your marriage or with your kids. Your peace is not tethered to those things. It's tethered to Christ. And some of you need, you need to hear that. You need to know that. You need to believe that. You need to feel that. Which means if you belong to Christ, that peace is your Siamese twin all the way through life until you see Jesus face to face. His peace is not tethered to our circumstances. And number three, this is how the peace of Jesus works. It starts on the inside and it works its way out. Okay, it starts on the inside where we believe the gospel, we respond to the gospel, we have peace with God. But it, it truly doesn't end there. It really does work its way out to provide peace for those situations that we long for it. If you have a marriage and both people love Jesus and have been saved and they have peace, then that's going to bring more peace in your marriage. If you have a family, you have kids, you have in-laws, you have parents, um, the more that each individual is, 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 is filled with the Spirit and actively following Jesus, the more that that family is going to represent the kingdom values. It's going to represent the garden. It's going to represent uh, eternity, right? Because this, this peace that starts inside is working its way out. It might even change your neighborhood. <laughs> it, like, if you have... God, the, the peace of Christ and the Holy Spirit is changing you into the very image of Jesus, that's going to affect the way that you interact with your neighbors. It's going to make you a better neighbor. And if you have a handful of Christians in your neighborhood that are obeying and following Jesus, it's going to bring more peace in the neighborhood. I think the government is the same way. The more Christians that we have in government, the better shot that we have of the government providing what they are designed by God to provide. Peace starts on the inside, and it works its way out. Changes the way you interact with your boss, uh, with your employees, uh, with your vendors, with the salesmen. The peace of Christ starts inside, but it works its way out. Community groups, they're, they're, they're places where we have people that are all on different journeys of, of sanctification. Some uh, brand new Christians, some been Christians for decades. And together, as the Holy Spirit is molding us, this peace that we have individually, internally, it's seeping its way out to where as we grow in Christ, these become just unbelievable little families of shalom, of peace. So when God created everything humanity, creation, his idea and his goal was for all of this to exist in perfect shalom. Perfect peace between humans and God, perfect peace between every human relationship, and perfect peace even between us and creation. 
And then man decided to rebel against God, and that sin caused a fracture in every area of the shalom. And from the opening pages of your Bible, in Genesis 3, God promised that he would send the seed, and that means a single male, to come and to begin putting things back in order. That's what Isaiah is talking about when he says, For unto us a child is born. He's talking about Jesus that was prophesied about from page 3 of your Bible, and we're right in the middle of the story where Jesus is redeeming the world back to Shalom. So here's what I just want to leave you with. If you long for peace, maybe it's in your soul, maybe it has to do with fear or, or anxiety or addiction, or if you long for peace in your marriage or with your kids or your relationship, or you long for peace with your neighborhoods or your in-laws or, or, or wherever it is that you feel it the most, um, the key to having a life of peace is walking with the Prince of Peace. I love the fact that Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace. What a beautiful title. What a beautiful title for the Son of God to have is that He is the Prince of Shalom, and as you follow the Prince of Peace, He just begins working peace from the inside out. Let me invite you, wherever you are, to bow your head, to close your eyes, to pray with me. Uh, and just honestly, let's, let's just pray that the Holy Spirit would do something um, that, that I can't do, that no preacher can do, uh, is to just very precisely apply the gospel to your life and to your heart and to your needs and to your fears, and that you would take God at his word and we would trust Christ as the Prince of Peace. Jesus, we need your help. God, we need your help to believe. We need your help to respond. God, we need your help for peace that we all long for. God, all of us know that there is some standard uh, of true, perfect, total peace that we long for, yet we're struggling to find God, that's because you've put that longing in our heart. That's because that's what we were made for as your creation and your image bearers. So, Father, I just pray that we might even sit in that desire and that hunger for peace for a moment. And that might be just a testimony that you have made us for something good and something great and something truly peaceful. Father, I pray that you'd help us to recognize that that peace has been broken. It has been shattered and Jesus came to redeem it to put the pieces back together father i pray for anyone in this room that has never truly put their faith in you as their savior and their lord that you would give them the faith to do that and to respond god that you would truly give them peace from this moment forevermore with you god because jesus you died on the cross to to answer all of the problems that humanity has to all the deficiencies, all the rebellion. You took all that upon yourself and you died bringing peace. So God, I pray that someone today might find peace with you. Father, I pray that um, those people this morning that are walking through very, very difficult circumstances that they would feel your peace and know that it's despite any circumstances that they have that it is present always. And Father, I pray as a church that the peace of Christ in the hearts of individuals would work its way out so that we truly become a family that represents a piece of what heaven will be like. God, very imperfectly, but I pray that we are a slice of heaven to the world. God, I pray our families are that way, um, that our families are just a little cosmos of heaven. God of peace. Father, we love you, and I thank you that you're the Prince of Peace, that Jesus, you are confounding the world and all the global chaos, that you came in as a humble baby going to turn the world upside down. 
Thank you that you lived a life we couldn't live. Thank you that you died a death in our place. And thank you that you have extended your offer of peace to us by grace through faith in you. God, may our response be to the Prince of Peace this morning. We love you. We thank you. We need you. We're grateful for you. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.